Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. We have a unique spin to our podcast episode today. We've had people in the space that flip land, and we've had all types of real estate, of course. This individual is, first off, right up the road, like 30 minutes away, which is pretty damn amazing. We should have did this in person by all means. But needless to say, what's really cool is Pete is actually flipping land, mostly focusing on like off-market deals and so forth, but he's doing it in a short-term value-add type of situation, right? Focusing on perk tests, and we'll we'll dive in on that in just a moment, but also like a 60-day turnaround is their average, which is incredible to be able to, you know, clear up the space, increase the value, and then resell it to make some awesome profits. So really excited to have Pete on today. Pete, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Brandon. I think this will be a lot of fun. Happy yeah, man. I'm dive I'm ex- in and get under the hood and see what the, you know, tell you everything about my business, basically. I love it, man. I'm excited as well. Talk to us. Anybody that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, what you're up to, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view? Sure. Sure. Basically, been in real estate for quite some time since the early 2000s when we bought our first house and did pretty well on that just because the market improvements and some questionable DIY projects that I did at the house. (laughs) (laughs) So it ended up okay. We actually made $50,000 on our first home. And, you know, I thought that was a you know, a nice chunk of change at the time. And it was. And uh, so then we started actually getting into flipping houses. And we were doing that for a while. So we were flipping houses, got my broker's license here in California, because I was primarily trying to save commissions and also get better access to the deals that were hitting the market because I was just buying them from the MLS at that point. Sure. Market crashed here in Southern California and many places in the country. So during that time, I shifted gears and I became an REO listing broker for the banks. Yep. So I was primarily focused on selling bank properties. And there was a ton of them at the time and they were all selling. So it was a good niche to be in for a little while. Started working with a lot of investors through that and just finding them deals, either my own listings or other listings. And I was able to kind of get those deals locked up for them. So that was a big focus for a while. Took a detour from real estate for a little while, another business that we had. And then roughly two years ago, oh, I knew I needed to get back into the real estate investing game. That was kind of always been my passion. And I read some stuff online about land flipping and some people that were doing it. Saw some anecdotes of people saying, hey, I bought this property for $10,000 and I sold it for $30,000. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I think that, that would be kind of fun if it's real. And yeah, you know, so went down a whole rabbit hole on that. And then I just dove in and started doing that business model. Actually resold our first property in March of 2021. So not even two years ago. Our first year, we did a little over $1.2 million in revenue with that at about a 50% gross profit margin. So on average, we were able to buy a property and then double it, double each property that we resold. And then in 2022, wrapping that up, 
um, going to end up somewhere between three and a half and four million, depending on what closes <laughs> like it should, and about the same gross profit margin as well. So Good for you. trying to scale it as high as I can. So yeah. Hell yeah. I love that. Talk to me for a second. I mean, those are impressive numbers, first off, just getting started in the last couple of years. Obviously, you've been in real estate for, you know, a good 20 years now at this point. But but needless to say, when it comes down to the REI brokering for the banks, you know, when I first got started in real estate, it was like 2011, 2013 timeframe. And there was a lot of NODs. There's a lot of notice of defaults, pre-foreclosure, a lot of that going on, right? short sales, right. a lot of things, you know, if we didn't catch them, then it was going to foreclosure. And, and I know a lot of people on our team, they were working with individuals like you at the time that were working, doing the brokerage that was working with the banks heavily. Talk to me about that process, what that looked like, your roles and responsibilities, and overall, which banks were you working with? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting time. A time yeah. I do not want to revisit, but I'm actually thankful for it because there was not a lot of real estate agents or brokers that were doing well at that time. Yes. And thankfully, the, based off of my wife's prodding, I kind of got involved with the REO listing side of things right at the right time. Mm. Um, you know, we could see this flood coming and she was like, hey, you got to get signed up with all these banks and you got to get you got to get in on this. And thankfully, I did before the rush of all the other agents and brokers that were signing up for it. And basically, you get your foot in the door by doing BPOs, they call them, so broker price opinion, so mini appraisals, essentially. Yeah. So they had all these portfolios of loans that were going in default and everything, and they would have these big orders that would drop on these websites. And you just kind of accept all these different orders, and you've got, you do these mini reports for anywhere between $50 to $100, which is not much. But the goal was to do a good job on those, so you would get noticed for that area, and then hopefully get listings and kind of get your foot in the door with these banks and start getting the regular listing inventory. Mm. Um, the process was interesting. I mean, it, it would all kind of start by you getting an email, you get an email from one of these banks, and they'd say new listing assignment. And then you know, I'd be looking up my computer, like, where's this property? And what you know, what's the deal with it? First order of business was you had to go out to the house itself, and then determine if it's occupied, which mm. was, you know, which is rough. I mean, yeah, you're hoping as you're going over, you know, you're the listing bird, you're hoping that it's vacant and, you know, it, it's just an easy process, but a lot of times it wasn't. Some people wow. were unaware that it actually had sold at a foreclosure auction. Yeah. Because there was so much going on with these postponement of, of the foreclosure sales and modifications and lots of things happening. And these banks just did not, their services did not do a good job of. Yeah keeping everyone updated on the process. So a lot of these people were just kind of shocked. Yep. And, you know, here I am, I'm showing up as, you know, the representative of the bank. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a bad a look. Broker. Yeah, bad I know. Look, my so, friend, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough situation. You know, yeah. I had a situation where kids would answer the door and I'd be like, yeah. hey, can I talk to your parents? And, you know, it, it, it was just rough. Um, yeah. But, you know, at that point, if it was occupied, I would essentially... Uh, be authorized to negotiate like a, a cash for keys. So mm. negotiate a date when they would be able to move out and then I would provide them money on move out. So from there, you know, you would make recommendations to the bank of what you thought you could sell it for or what you would want to list it for and what potential renovations they should do, if any. Yeah. And 
yeah and then you put the listing on and then we would get tons and tons of offers <laughs> so yeah so then it was a, a matter of like you know communicating with all the buyers agents to you know try to do the best you can for your bank your client yeah what year were you doing these i, I think it was probably mostly 2008 to 2011 maybe somewhere yeah. in there maybe i'm off by year maybe 2009 to 12 sure. somewhere in that somewhere in that range yeah yeah so. i love it so talk to me how did you get into the land flippings well, actually before we go into that do you think sure. that, that space is going to kind of come back and have that necessity need in the next six 12 months or even you know two years down the road with foreclosure starting to increase a little bit I think potentially it could start heating up some as far as that side of things. Yeah. I don't see it. I, Take I, it I off could like be it wrong. did in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I could be wrong. I mean, that was a very interesting time because like everything fell off a cliff. Yeah. And I think that's what caused the majority of the problems. It wasn't just like a gradually, you know, lowering of prices until, yeah. you know, it's until everything was at a 30 or 40% discount. It was like, it just seemed like overnight. I remember I was showing... Oh yeah, homes to a uh, client in, in Temecula and all the homes were like, seemed like they were overpriced and, you know, she was not interested because she thought the prices were too much. Then the next month I looked in the same homes, you know, like similar homes in the same track communities and everything. The foreclosure wave started hitting and then, you know, it was like 40 to 50% discount, like 30 wow. days later, just crazy. Yeah. And, and then, and then that caused all kinds of chain reactions and things like people saying, well, you know, I, they they couldn't they couldn't see they couldn't view it long term so they were saying like I'm so far underwater on this thing I'm just gonna stop making my payments and oh, of course you know, and then that kept snowballing yeah so it was a little crazy time I don't see it happening like that but I could be wrong <laughs> but I Me do too. think that there there will be you know probably some increase in that area for sure yeah a slight increase in the demand for that mm -hmm. versus the last few years at least right. So talk to me about the transition into land flipping, basically. I mean, that's what you're doing. Right. You're, you're doing a value increase to a certain degree if needed. And then you're turning these things left and right within yeah. a fairly quick turnaround time. Why land flipping? And like, how'd you get into that? Sure. Well, I knew, knew I wanted to get into real estate investing again. And I knew how to flip houses. Yeah. And I knew, you know, all about rentals and and everything associated with that. I just didn't really know specifically what model I wanted to go after and really kind of focus on. You know, just kind of researching online and I kind of went down this rabbit hole with the land flipping stuff. It just kind of seemed like it really matched mm. my skill set. And I kind of liked the fact that it was smaller dollars in the way that like you could do smaller dollar properties and you don't have to worry about like getting bank financing or anything like that. It's just kind of like trading. You know what I mean? Like you buy yeah. something low, you try to yep. sell a little higher and you keep, you know, you keep snowballing that those funds and keep increasing things. So do you do trading as well? Uh, no, no. In fact, well, I came out to San Diego. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. So yeah. when I came out to San Diego, I got my first job was I worked at Prudential Securities as a uh -huh. stockbroker. Yeah. So I had my series 63 and seven license and everything. I got out of that because you know, at the time I'm working with all these people that build up their life savings and I'm this, you know, 23 year old guy and I'm trying to tell them how to invest their life savings. Yeah. And I it just was like, fell out of place, paycheck right? Paycheck, you know, <laughs> so it, I just had a problem with it. I had to, I don't know. 
just didn't jive with me, I guess. So. Yeah. Didn't feel uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> didn't feel right. Yeah. Didn't feel right. That's funny. Um, the model, the way we do it is probably different than, you know, there's a, there's a number of different ways to kind of do the land flipping business. Yeah. Model that we do is pretty simple. It all starts with direct mail. So I send out, you know, I, I pull lists of property owners in a certain area and they want to target. So I pull these lists. I use a company called DataTree. It's a first American company. So I'm able to pull these lists. I'm able to filter all kinds of these different variables. Then what we do is we send out direct mail and it's a two-page letter. First page is me kind of explaining why we're reaching out to them, what we do. Second page is just a a purchase agreement, one-page purchase agreement. And it actually has the information about the property on there and it has an offer price. Okay. So you do an offer uh, price right away. We do. We go right for that. And then they respond. And either, you know, we try to be right on with where we need to be. Sometimes we're too high on price. Sometimes we're too low. Sometimes we're right on. But when when they respond, we go and look at the property. I mean, we investigate the property deeper and mm-hmm. see if it's something we want to move forward with and where we're at on the price. And basically, we, we work out the uh, final deal with the property owner, move towards closing. We close it through an attorney, a title company, escrow, whatever state we're dealing in. Yeah. And yeah, then right away, we're doing some, you know, minor improvements sometimes, you know, like we'll get some clearing done on the property, you know, like trails so people can access it, or we're getting a perk test done, or, you know, in the rare case, we won't be getting a survey done. But in most cases, we're doing some, some very minor stuff. And then we are listing them that with a local broker and reselling it right away. Okay, you mentioned several things that I need to pull apart here and, and yeah. break it down. First off, just curious, you know, the markets that you are focusing on, is this nationwide or is there certain markets that you rather be in versus not? Yes. I mean, we're doing it nationwide, but our main focus really is kind of the East Coast is where we've kind of focused lately. I've done some stuff in the Pacific Northwest. I've done property in California and I've done, you know, a little bit in the Midwest, but it's mostly the East Coast is kind of what's been just seemed to work for us lately. We try to work on areas where we see that there's good activity with land, like land is actively selling. So there's an active market and there's active demand for it. And we try to build broker relationships in those areas. So we try to network with the top land brokers in a certain area. And then we kind of leverage them on the buy side and on the resale side. So when we get a property under contract, we're reaching out to our you know, local contact and we're saying, hey, what do you think about this property? What do you think you could resell it for? Anything we should be concerned with on the property? Yeah. And then we give them the listing on the resale side to make it a win-win. Is there any markets that you're like, no, we will never be in this, this area? I don't think that there's anything that I would okay. completely... Knock off the list? No. I mean, the United States is definitely uh, primarily, so anything outside the United States might be yeah, a little yeah. tougher because I don't know their procedures. But Yeah, for sure. And then when it comes down to your offers, how many are you actually, your postcard? Is it postcards or is it just... It's a letter. Oh, so it's an envelope that they open. Okay. Yep, exactly. Okay. How many are you typically sending out per campaign? Well, at this point, we're at a rate of 50,000 a month. 50,000 50, letters a month. Yeah, yeah so pretty good. It. pretty good amount. Each letter okay. costs us about 50 cents a piece. So, yeah. Okay. And then how are you getting direct on your actual offer price? Basically, we're just looking at public 
data on, you know, like for instance, in most areas where there's a lot of transactions, a lot of stuff happening on the MLS, we could just go into Zillow. And for instance, I'll take a certain county, say it's Smith County, and I look at anything within the acreage ranges that we're targeting, say it's 10 acres to 100 acres. Mm-hmm. And I look in there and uh, I look at over the past 12 months, what properties have sold and what was kind of an average price per acre. And then, you know, that's an average retail price. And then we just back off a percentage from that in order to come up with their offer price. Because what our goal is, is to double our money. So that's yeah. after, you know, that's after commissions, closing costs, everything like that. So we have to build that in too. And the other thing we have to build in is that's really part of our model is pricing a, the property pretty aggressively on the resale side. Yeah. And that's what allows us to have that quick resale time, that 60 day hold time on average, because we're not trying to squeeze out every dime from a property. Sure. We're trying to buy good properties quick first of all. Yep. And price them slightly below retail so we yeah. can sell them quickly. Okay. So when you're, you know, basically you look up these counties and you see, hey, this property sold for a hundred thousand. Do you typically come in about 60, 70% less so that you can pick it up, do the renovations or whatever? And then Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we might start an offer price of maybe like 30%, 35%, depending yeah. on the area. Sure. And then, you know, depending on what happens with the deal, you know, we might negotiate something a little higher with the, the property owner or, you know, it just it's all property. Each property is a little different. So it just kind of depends on that particular property, what we think we can resell it for and, you know, what issues it has or, you know, yeah. what, what's great about a property. If we if it's a super premium property, we know we can get more out of the property on the resale side. And, yeah. Um, so. So what happens if, because you're not like wholesaling these, you are taking no. each of these down. So what happens mm-hmm. if you can't get rid of the property? You just stack up mm-hmm. some some extra land and build out a huge portfolio? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, our portfolio value is, I was just looking at this the other day. Yeah. It's actually at 2.7 million in properties that we own free and clear. Nice. Uh, it's a very interesting business because it just starts compounding on each other, these properties that you're buying and your portfolio value and everything. So what I do is we just reduce, we just continually reduce until it does sell. Yeah. And okay. at this point, we know what we're doing as far as we're staying away from the crappy properties that no one wants. And, uh, and so as we, you get into this, you're going to start realizing the ones that maybe, and I don't want to speak for you, but I would assume some that are staying on the market a little bit longer, possibly the location or area in general might yep. be some of the reasons that you're like, all right, now it's not selling as quick as we'd like. We're going to keep dropping it. But yep. maybe this avatar type of property, we're going to start staying away from and we're going to go with the bread and butter that's selling quick. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we try to learn from our mistakes. And of course, you know, I wouldn't say that they're, they're mistakes, at least at this point. I mean, because we haven't lost money on any property. I mean, but- at the end of the day, I mean, you're stacking up pretty well profit-wise year to year yeah. and making a great living. And then also you got a couple million dollars worth of free and clear property yeah. nationwide. You know, it's it's not a bad gig, man. Yeah, yeah, not not complaining, not complaining at yeah. all. I'm a big believer, and that's kind of why I'm here talking to you about it. I, I just think it's a I just awesome. think it's a really cool niche. And you know, I was in the real estate business for quite some time as we talked about, yeah. and I'd never really heard about this kind of stuff happening this way. I mean, I knew that people were flipping land, but my idea of flipping land was people that were buying some really cheap parcels, maybe out in the desert, desert squares, as they call them. Yeah. And then 
you know, buying them for 500 and selling them for 2000 on eBay. You know, like yeah. I thought that's what the land flipping business is about. <laughs> and there are people that do that business model. Yeah. But it's not what this is really at all. Do you have a bread and butter, like a, a sweet spot for price range type of properties that like, hey, we're not going to go over 300000 for the land or something uh -huh. along those lines? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, I mean, we've been constantly, continuously trying to step up that sort of minimum purchase price yeah. because although you can get some really good returns on those cheaper properties, like you can buy some properties for 5000 yeah, sell them for 30000 or whatever. Those are really good profit margins, obviously. Yeah. But they're crappier properties too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they come with their own challenges and it's it's not dissimilar to to houses in a way because the cheaper houses, you know, you can make some good profits on them, but there are a lot more problems. You know, they might need some more renovations. You have a different buyer avatar, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, you know, we've kind of, over time, we build it a little higher. So right now, kind of the minimum we try to stay with is about $30,000 purchase price. Okay. And then, you know, maybe the thirty dollars to $100,000 range is kind of the sweet spot on the buy price. And then, like I said, we try to double our money on each of those things. Yeah. So we'll definitely do higher. And I love doing higher dollar properties as well, because those are bigger chunks. And if we could still get the same profit margin, it's great. It's just that yeah, you've yeah. got more tied into one deal, you know? Yeah. Are you getting anything out here in our backyard, San Diego? No. Yeah, no. I wish, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I know this area really well. I probably yeah. should, but I don't know. I, they're higher dollar properties for sure. You know, yep. the, the ones that are decent properties around here. I mean, you can go out to the desert, you know, Borrego or, you know, even into like Riverside County out that way and stuff. But those are, I don't know, they're just not really the type of properties I want to deal in, I guess. Yeah. So talk to me, when it comes down to a property... Like some like how how do you determine with your direct mail? Well, obviously it comes down to the data that you're getting because that's how you're getting your direct mail out. But with the data, what type of information are you putting in there to be able to get the ideal that you want? Because I'm sure there's some land that comes across with a bunch of liens or just issues or you can't build on it, and you know certain things that are just going to hold it back, and then it's really not that valuable at all, right? Yeah. And some of those things we can't determine before we send out the mail. Yeah. And a lot of those things we can't. So we try to filter the list as much as possible. And I don't filter them as much as some people build super, super targeted lists. You know, yeah. they're only doing out of state owners. They're doing, you know, things that fit this exact criteria. I take a more broad approach. As you can see, I send out a lot of mail because I don't want to exclude people, which I think would might be good, good leads. And when I look at the big picture and a return on the direct mail spend, the numbers definitely work. So, mm -hmm. So we filter out stuff like, you know, sellers that I know are not going to sell, first of all, like utilities or railroads or, you know, a city or county, you know, those type of own properties. So we, we immediately filter out all those types of things. I also so filter so by, city, city and county, they're not going to sell? Yeah, generally. And if they do sell, they would have some sort of special procedure, generally like an auction or some sort of public notice type sale or whatever. They're not going to respond to someone like me that just sends them a letter offering gotcha. to buy the property generally. Now, gotcha. there, there might be exceptions, but we we purchase from other entities, though, like churches. We purchase a number of properties from churches because they, they get properties donated to them. And it's just, you know, they have no need for those. They'd, they'd rather cash out. Yep. And, you know, we filter out other stuff like like assessed value. If the assessed value is super low in some of these areas, it's generally because it's a junk property. Maybe it's landlocked or maybe it's a swamp or you know, something like that. So mm. there's some things we can do on the front end, but a lot of the stuff we find out as these leads start coming in and people start responding, 
And sometimes when someone's super eager to sell to you at the price that you offered, it's sometimes you have to at least look into it and say like, okay, well, what do they want to sell it to me? You know, like, yeah, or, yeah. You know, without putting up any sort of like fight or whatever. But, you know, so we'll look at them. And first of all, we're not buying any landlocked properties. There's some investors that that's what they focus on. They buy landlocked properties and then they try to establish access for them. And then they increase the value that way. It's just not mm. our model. And, you know, things like, when you say landlock, what, what do you mean exactly by that? Yeah, so it's crazy. It, uh, there's so many properties out there where it's a parcel, say it's a 10 acre parcel, but it's behind all these other, like there's no road in front of it and there's no direct easement to actually get to the property. So uh, like, you'd have to cross someone else's property to get to that property. Yeah. In many of these states, they have laws where you can actually, you're allowed to legally, you're allowed to cross other people's properties to get to your landlocked property, mm-hmm. but you can never build on that property unless you establish some sort of legal access. And you can yeah. do that by paying off a neighbor to yep. get some sort of legally established easement. Yep. But So we stay away from those properties, even though you yeah. can buy them really cheap. And it might be a beautiful 10 acre parcel, but... You know, without the access, it's really doesn't have much value. Sure. For most. That's a, for that's most a long, investors. you know, for the investors that want to play the long game in that and and work the relationship potentially over time, that could be good for them. Yeah. And I know some I know some investors do really well with that. I mean, they're yeah. able to pick them up super cheap. You yeah, know, that's the that's the thing. That's the key. They're yeah. Pick up super cheap. And then if they're the type that's really good with like working a, with the neighbors or something like that, real personable. And, and, and uh, I, I guess the worst case scenario in, in that case could potentially be that they sell the property to that neighbor that won't budge with them. You yes, know? That, you that is a, if you can't a beat them, join them and be like, those, here. For those people, they, they end up selling a lot of properties that way. Yeah. And it's just a little riskier because you might have a buyer pool of like three or four properties or something like that. And mm-hmm. if they don't buy that property and they won't negotiate on an easement, then you're kind of like, what are you going to do? At least yeah. if you're going to buy it cheap enough where you could probably resell it to someone else for that, that price yeah. and you still get out of it, I guess. So Yeah, that's good. Talk to me about the KPIs for a second. Are, obviously, it sounds like you're a smart, intelligent businessman here. So I'm, I'm sure you're tracking. Really. No, no, <laughs> no, we're winging it, man. We're winging yeah. it. <laughs> What kind of software or technology are you guys utilizing to kind of stay on track? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a number of tools that we use for our business. First of all, I guess the main one sort of at the front end, if you're kind of trying to evaluate these properties, which I think is very essential, is an app called MapRite. MapRite, Map, MapRite allows you to put in any parcel number or county basically in the country. There might be a couple counties that they don't service, but pretty much the whole country, you can put it in there. And then you get a real good picture of what this property is all about. You can see multiple different satellite images. They do overlays with wetlands. They do overlays with FEMA flood zones. You can see where all the roads are at for access. You can get all the information for all the neighbors. You know, just by clicking around on there, you can get the contours, the elevations, all different kinds of of data. Just by pulling it up on my computer here in California, I can see all this these you know properties anywhere in the United States. So. That's a really good tool. And without it, this business would be really tough. There's some other apps that are similar, but and I've tried most of them. And, and MapRite really is, is the best as far as I'm concerned. So nice. that one we utilize a lot. Uh, we've got a CRM for a business, which is kind of, it's more than just a, you know, for tracking leads. It's kind of, we're tracking every Everything. process in our business, really. Yeah. You know, kind of like the front end dealing with the, the leads that come in, but also 
you know, like managing transactions, managing the due diligence, managing every aspect. So what software do you use for CRM? It's our own system that we built on top of the high level platform. I don't know. Go if high you, level. Yeah. Yeah. Go high level. Yep. Cool. So it starts with high level and then we just build a bunch of customizations onto that for our business. Nice. And, yeah, and that uh, allows us to, it does, it's a lot of cool tools because it, you know, we've got all kinds of stuff set up where it's, you know, it's texting and emailing, you know, all the leads that come in, you know, based off of, you know, it's just things that we've set up within there. So it's, yeah, to it's automate, really pretty cool. Automate, yeah, delegate, and just systemize, which I love. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Any other software or technology that you're using? I know, you know, the uh, data tree for direct mail, which is great. And then as far as getting your data in general, what are you utilizing? Yeah, well, data tree helps us pull the list. And then we're we're getting the data from, you know, like the sales information from Zillow or Realtor.com or yep. any of these public sites like that is where we're able to pull up the the comps and, and figure out what a property is worth. The other part of that is looping in our local broker contacts and, you know, they help us verify the pricing. So we're pretty on at this point as far as what we estimate a property will yeah. sell for and what the broker contacts come and say, come back and say, but it's ex- extra level of kind of verification. And who is actually sending out the direct mail? Yeah, we use a company called Rocket Mail. Rocket Mail. Or cool. Rocket Print and Mail, maybe is the real name. They also go by Postcard Mania. Yep. It's a company out of Florida. So they have really good rates and they do a great job for us. I love it. And I don't have to lick any stamps or, you know, stuff yeah. any envelopes. <laughs> Which is very crucial when you're putting out 50000 a month, guys. It yes. would take me some time, I think. <laughs> yeah. Do my full-time job and then some. Yeah, and then some, for sure. And for my kid. Yeah. <laughs> Poor kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used to uh, have him do that stuff. I used to have him do some direct mail for me in my real estate broker days. But yeah, I did direct mail for a little over six months and I was doing all that in, in a bag of chips throughout the whole day. <laughs> and, yeah. And then I was sitting on the phone waiting for them to call in. And yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. I gave up a little too early, I think. Through, yeah. You know, through yeah. You got that momentum build. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So talk to me, how long does it typically, how often are you sending the mailers out? And then how long does it on average take like for the repetition, the number of times uh, or attempts that you've uh, sent before they call? Yeah, it's really interesting. We send out two batches of mail each month. So on the 1st and the 15th, we send out a 25,000 letter batch each time. And, you know, some people will respond right away. Some people will wait. You know, weeks, some people will wait months. And I, I get some calls now that are from a year and a half ago. Crazy. Yeah. And, and some people will send letters back after that long. I think they received my letter, you know, a year ago. And then I'll get a letter back from them, you know, either accepting our offer or countering or just writing me a long letter. So that happens too. I would say most of the responses come in within the first 60 days because we put an expiration date on our offer. Which is I like 60 that. days. So we try to try to get some urgency going there. And you know, but but sometimes people you know will respond way after that. And we're still definitely interested if we can work out a deal. Yeah. I love that. And then as far as repeating, I'll generally remail the same area every three months. So and I just keep that rolling. Okay. And then so are you pulling new data or you're just hitting the same one? Yeah, we pull new data each time because I think some of the addresses and things get refreshed. So we're pulling new data, but then we're excluding 
people that have responded previously. Yeah. We take those out of our list, but we're pulling new data each time. Gotcha. So. And then are you hiring VAs or anything to be able to clean up the data and scrub it? Yes. I've got a list manager on our team that and knows exactly how to scrub the data and prepare it and then prepare the spreadsheet. So I prepare this whole big spreadsheet with all these merge fields, basically. So it's got, you know, the parcel number, it's got their name, it's got acreage, it's got our offer price in there. So all this data, and then it gets merged into the letter. So it's a very, it's a personalized letter for each recipient. And then and, it uh, looks like it's handwritten, I, I assume. Uh, no. no. Okay. It's just, yeah, we don't do the handwritten. Well, I think, you know, there are companies that do that, but those are uh, a lot more expensive. Sure. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know how much it costs, but it'd probably be about double. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. good. I love it. This is a lot of info, I feel like. So talk to me. How many other people are on the team? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll break down my whole team right now. And yeah, this, is, this didn't start this way. Yeah. It's of just course. what I've built up to at this point. I mean, my goal right now is to kind of take myself out of most of the aspects of it, aside from kind of approving deals and doing some of the planning type things and moving the business forward. So I've got a um, my first person on the team who their current role is a lead manager and due diligence manager, is what we call it. Yeah. And essentially, he is taking all the inputs, you know, whether it's from, you know, an inbound call or an email or a text. However, these people respond, he takes that information, puts it into our CRM, does some really basic due diligence on the property, get, goes into MapRite and creates a link in there so we can easily click on that link and see the property without having to build this map. Mm. And, uh, you know, he kind of does an overview of like, are there wetlands on this property? Is there road frontage? And kind of goes through a little list of that. So that's the initial thing. Um, and then his other job is after we get things under contract, he manages the due diligence process. Like he hires a photographer to go out to the property, the photographer, drone photographer, and the person that, that walks the property. And then uh, we have another service which calls the county and the city and, and goes through a whole list of questions to determine, you know, buildability of a property or and zoning and those mm. things and manages them, some things on the due diligence side. And then I've got another team member that is the acquisition manager, and her job is to essentially, you know, as those leads come into the CRM, she's reaching out and she's speaking to those people primarily. Sometimes it's just email. Sometimes it's just text. We work out deals. But yeah, her job is the communication with the property owners and get to the point where we have a signed purchase agreement. So I've got another team member that analyzes the properties as they come in. You know, we get a lot of leads and his job is to determine, you know, what it is, you know, is this a property we're interested in? And if so, what price would make sense for us? What could we resell things for? So he's communicating a lot with the, the brokers that we work with and also, you know, digging in and, and really kind of trying to evaluate if it's a property we should move forward with or not. Mm. After it's under contract, then it's a deeper level of due diligence, not just kind of the surface level stuff, but we're just kind of verifying everything that we thought about our property. And if there's any kind of red flags that come up, he digs into those same things a little deeper and just tracks them down to make sure it's not going to be a problem on the resale side. He's also reviewing the title reports that come back when we're purchasing property, make sure there isn't some sort of weird restrictions or deed restrictions or issues on, on the title report. So those are his jobs. And then I've also got a transaction manager and her job is to handle all the paperwork for all the transactions on both the purchase side and also on the resale side. And it's a lot of 
it's a lot of stuff, you know, to keep that all organized. So that's her job. And then I've got at this point, I've also got an executive assistant that helps me keep all the team together and operating smoothly and moving ahead as a business. Wow. I love it. So it did not start off like that, though. I no, assume. no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it just started off with me and, and one assistant that came with me from another business that we had. So I was already familiar with him and he, I knew he did a great job. So I kind of just started training him on things that I knew how to, that I had figured out and knew how to do. And I was trying to lighten my workload. So I would train him on, on certain things and keep training him on more things. Yeah. And, you know, and then I would just add team members to kind of take more jobs away from me. I love it. I was doing everything myself. I was making all the yeah. phone calls. I was sending out the mail. I was yeah. all the stuff, you know, preparing yeah. all the list. It was just, it's, it's crazy. Too much. Yeah. yeah it's too much. <laughs> you realize you're a crazy man afterwards. Yeah. And you're like, I got to do something different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So. so are all these members virtual or are, do you have them in-house? Yeah, we're all remote. So okay. Everyone's remote. I've got a couple of team members that are overseas yep. and a couple in the US here and one in Canada. Okay. Do you believe that they need to be US bound or like certain roles, like it should, it's ideal? I think for certain roles, it really helps to, you know, have English speakers that are, you know, from this country. I think it does help a lot because, you know, there's this perception maybe that, you know, when someone from overseas is speaking to, you know, a property owner or whatever, they, they may be apprehensive in the first place thinking it's just some sort of you know like yeah scam or something it's like not that. legit so I, yeah yeah so i think it, it puts their minds at ease to be speaking yep. with someone you know like that but and you know for certain it just depends on the, the role and the fit you know yep so i so, love that you know we have both so it just depends and talk to me about the perk test because this is something mm-hmm. I, I have heard a few times but i'm assuming that a lot of our listeners probably haven't so is this something I wouldn't say mandatory, but is this, you know, something that you are pulling quite often? And what the heck is a perk test for anybody that doesn't <laughs> well, know? There, yeah. What yeah. is a perk test? Because I didn't know before I got into the yep. real estate game. What is a perk test? Okay, so if you're in a kind of a city or a town, generally they have a sewer system with your house, you know, all the toilets and drains and everything plug into that sewer system and that's where the waste goes. Yeah. If you're in the country, there's no sewer system to plug into if you're outside of these towns or cities. So what you have to do is you have to have a septic system, which is basically an on-site sewage processing system. So it's essentially in most areas, it's just a tank. You know, everything yep. goes into this tank and then it kind of ferments and then it goes out into these tubes that are underground. But in order to make that work, you have to have soil that is well-draining soil and soil where the groundwater isn't like a foot below the surface. Yeah. So they do these perk tests to, where they drill holes in the ground, they sample the soil, and they also test the rate of draining of the soil. Yeah. So you, it helps in a lot of these areas. If you can get that perk test done, then that's one big hurdle to get over as far as is, is the property buildable. Yes. It's for building to really see if this is buildable or not, correct? Right. And a lot of people, you know, not everyone that buys our properties are buying them to build a home. Mm. But a lot of them at least like the option to think, oh, well, maybe I would bu- build something here one day, or maybe I build a cabin here, or or something along those lines. So it does definitely does help the marketability. Yeah, um, some buyers don't care about it at all, but but it does help the marketability to get that done sometimes. Yeah. So Pete, talk to me when it comes down to offloading these properties once you purchase them. 
are you don't have a buyer's list you know it's it's more just like putting on or do you have a buyer's list i don't want to speak for you but is this just putting it on the market right away and then you're putting it a little bit below you know what does that look like yeah we don't uh, do the marketing side at all i mean okay. it's rare like sometimes if we don't have a local broker partner we'll enter it in the flat bmls and put it on facebook marketplace and things but that's the extent of our marketing program some land investors have a whole extensive you know buyers list and a whole buyer's website and they're dealing directly with a lot of the buyer leads that come in yeah my kind of spin on this model is to really leverage the local listing brokers because those people are in the area they already have the buyers list they have people that trust them there's instant legitimacy when they list a property yeah. put it on the mls and put it on their site and market it to their buyer list and it just you know, for the amount of commission that we pay them, I think that we get more than that back in return. Yep. So, you know, my idea or my model is to not even do that marketing side directly. I mean, it just kind of, it kind of shaves off half of like the roles in our business to really not even have to worry about that. Oh, yeah. So, no, I love yeah. that. That's a whole different division. And if you don't yeah, need that would it, be, then, yeah, yes. would be a whole different thing I would have to build. And I, you know, I don't really see any benefit to it at this point, especially yeah. since, you know, it really helps us on the buy side when we have local broker partners who are able to advise us on these properties. Hey, this is a great area. I've sold a lot of things in this particular area. I know this is the, the price breakage. I think that we could sell this for. I've got a buyer's list. I got numerous buyers looking in this area. You know, like those types of things are mean everything. You know, yeah. If you're going into an area blind, and you're just looking at data and things that sold on Zillow or whatever, and you're planning to resell it yourself. There's less confidence in that. Oh, for sure. Purchase. So talk to me as so like a, a big key portion of this is when you are off selling it, you have the kind of the broker relationships built up already. How did you acquire that over time, building the relationships and getting the confidence from them that, hey, this is a good property, this is great location. This is exactly what I have these five buyers are looking for, you know, pick it up, get it to me and I'll, I'll offload it for you. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm big on relationships. So my big yeah. thing is like when we mail a certain area, first of all, we'll, we'll pick an area which I'm relatively certain that there's a lot of good activity. You know, yeah. I could see sales happening. Yeah. There's more sales happening in the last year than there are listings right now. Mm. So I could see that that imbalance kind of so that those are good signs. So I'll, I'll mail an area like that. And then as the leads start coming in, I'll just kind of search for the best land broker in that area. Yeah. And I'll call them up and I'll say, hey, here's what we do. We buy and sell properties. We buy and sell a lot of them. And we're looking for a local broker that can help us out in your area. I mean, I searched for you online. It looks like you're the top person. Yep. And we'd love to work with you. And here's what we do. We ask that you kind of help us out in the buy side, you know, giving us your opinion on these properties. And then we will list the properties with you and we pay, we pay 10% commission. Yeah. So, so you pay 10%. Right. Yeah, I mean, these are, you know, these might, these properties might be, you know, a resale price of a hundred thousand or less sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're going to, you know, try to pay 6% commission, they may not be that interested in working with you. So that makes on, sense. on the land stuff, generally, unless you're talking about the bigger dollar stuff, 10% is pretty standard. You know, 8% is probably standard. So we try to pay a little more. We try to make it work their well. Yeah, I mean, you want to give some motivation behind it so that they're prioritizing your deal instead of right. something that's going to pay them more and, and really get them to sell it like sooner than later, you know? 
Yeah, and will an extra two or four percent really make a big difference in the no. big scheme things? No. It, I mean, it's invaluable to have a great broker partner. Yeah, it really is for our business. So you know, that's the way we view it. Yeah. How many deals have you been averaging per year? Well, we're almost at a hundred deals total for so this last year? year. We yeah uh, oh. for all, all since yeah. we started and yeah. since our first resale in March of twenty twenty one. So congrats, man! Last I love year it. I think we did. 32 deals, 32 cool. full resales. And then this year we're going to be, you know, 68. Nice. So, yeah. So we're, we're going to end up this year, I think right around the hundred mark, just depending on what closes and what doesn't yeah. get delayed. And, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Congrats. That, that's uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge accomplishment to say the least. What about this market? You know, is, is land feeling the market like some of us uh, when it comes down to the houses and so forth? It's interesting. I mean, in the markets that we deal with, there's still really strong demand there. Yeah. You know, I have seen a couple of deals fall apart because, you know, I, I just had one that got delayed. You know, they're supposed to close this month. Looks like it's going to close in January now because they were using funds from a house that they were selling. Yes. In order to buy this piece of land. Yeah. And you know, that fell out of escrow because of, you know, maybe market conditions yep. and they've got another buyer lined up, but it's just, you know, so it is a chain reaction of things. But sure. the one thing that I really like about this business is, first of all, generally, we're not using any leverage. So it's it's all our money, which is good and bad, I guess you could say. But it's also really quick turn times. So it allows us to adjust pretty quickly. Yes. And a lot of these areas, these rural areas that we're dealing with, there was not these big run-ups in prices like, yep. you know, maybe in Southern California or Florida or something like that. These are of course. more stable markets. They have picked up over the last few years or last, you know, 10 years probably. Yeah. But they didn't spike up. So they're most likely not going to spike on the way down. But yeah, it allows us these quick turn times allows us to adjust pretty quickly. So yep. if we notice the market really softening, our purchase prices are going to adjust accordingly. Like we have to get them cheaper than we would have you know, in, in a hotter market. Yeah. So that's just how we adjust things. And one thing I know from my time as a REO listing broker in the worst real estate market crash of all times, there was like a tremendous amount of activity for those listings. And there was because they were priced right. And there was tons of investors buying. There's tons of people wanting to buy those properties. Some properties had 30 offers on them. Yeah. So it was simply a reset of the price. It's not like things are going to stop yeah. selling. It's just the price at the if you can still list a good property at the right price, there will be buyers. Yeah. And and the best part with your situation is that you're playing the numbers game. You're getting it at 30 cents at the dollar typically. And then you have that spread to do things. And you're making cash flow on the majority of these properties that are selling fast, you know? So yep. it puts you in a very favorable position that you have options to say the very yes. least and everybody that is dealing with you that's actually buying you know they're buying cash i'm sure they're not financing this land and so forth right yeah i mean majority of them are cash some people are getting land loans like there are some land lenders in some of these areas that yeah. operate and then some people are financing them with cash but they may be getting a heloc off their house or something like that so yeah. i don't know sometimes where the source of, of the cash comes from but that's what, I don't that's ask questions. I'm yeah, just kidding. that's right. As long as they send the money. No, 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 yeah, care. yeah. Send the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. Yeah. So what does the future look like for you? Yeah, well, I've got a number of things happening. Well, first of all, I want to scale this business as high as I can. Like this year, 
we're going to do probably just shy of 4 million, somewhere in that three and a half to 4 million range. Yeah, you're doubling, get, man. You're doubling. Yeah, so I, I want to get 10 million next year. I think okay. I can do it. I really do. So that's my immediate goal, just to scale this higher than where we currently are. Longer term in kind of the land investing space, I see a big opportunity with solar farms. Okay. So buying some of these properties that may be a little less desirable to some because they've got these huge transmission lines going through them. Typically, we see those on the satellite maps. We're like, oh, it's got these big you know, transmission lines going through them. Who would yeah. want to buy that property? But for a solar farm, it's actually ideal. You want to be next to those big transmission lines because you can tap into it. I just see a big need in that area because there's a big push to get the electric grid in this country switched over to renewable by the year 2035. Yeah. And in order for that to happen, I mean, there's going to have to be a ton of investment in solar and wind and hydroelectric and other things like that. And there's plus a ton of government incentives for it, like tax credits and things like that. So to me, it makes sense because that's where, that's where the money's going. You know, that's where the government wants it to go. Yeah. So being in that space, I think, would pay off long term. And, now, the problem and it's, is, it sounds like you need some tax credits too. So that would be beneficial. Yes, yeah. Tax credits would be very helpful. Yeah, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a situation where, you know, these solar farms, like the large scale ones that I'm talking about, like they take a while to sure. get through the planning process and everything. Yep. And you've got to hire a, a firm, an engineering firm that specializes in th- these things and yep. they get it through the whole process. And then at that point, you could either develop it yourself, get the financing to develop it yourself. Or you could sell an approved project to an in- institutional type investor. Me? Yes. Yeah, or, I yes. want some of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be great? You have like your own power plant, you know? Come on. Yes. I know. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great to me. Or you could build it out and hold it yourself. Yeah. Supposedly, they're getting such premiums for these ready-to-go projects. That oh, I bet. I probably couldn't afford it. by holding yeah. it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me, you know, how high do you think you can you can scale this thing? I don't know what the limit is now. I, yeah. I really don't. 10 million is nowhere near the, yeah. the lid of where it can go. I mean, you call me when you hit a ceiling because I just want I need to get you back on to hear about it. It's uh, tremendous growth. <laughs> and I'm excited for you, brother. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So I'd, I'd eventually like to, there's so many ways to kind of make money in this business. Like yeah. there's people that hold the notes on these properties yep. and do kind of owner financing. So that's a whole nother niche. And it, I think it would be interesting to start a fund. Maybe that could hold the financing for those things and make a really good return. There's another niche within this business, which is just partnering on deals. So other people bring you the deals and you you put up the money and you split the profits. So I did that on a couple deals. I brought in a a money partner specifically on a a really big deal that we did that was, it was a 650 acre property and the purchase price on it was 315,000, which is a big chunk of change to be Mm -hmm. just you know, wiring out. So what I did was I I had a partner that was willing to put up the money. I brought the deal. Yeah. And then I actually did the, you know, helped on the marketing side and coordinated with the agent and everything. And then uh, we resold it and split the profits. So yeah, those are, those are really good win-win situations. And you, and know, you guys, that, you doubled that one? Not quite, but we were close. We bought it for 315, sold it for 595. Okay. We put a little bit of money into clearing some trails and some paths on the property. Sure. So when all was said and done, after commissions, after everything, I think we each got a wire for 108000 Yeah, so, not bad. How long? 
that one took a little longer. It was five months. Okay. Oh God. But you, but still, I'm, like I'm me, saying, Pete, you let me yeah. know, please. All right. Yeah. It was like an <laughs> infinite RRI for, for me because I didn't put up the yeah. money to even buy the thing. And you know, yeah, but you and a buddy walking away with a 108k in less than half a yeah. year, not bad, not bad yeah, at not all. Not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. That's yeah, awesome. when you multiply out like the returns, when you start really digging into the numbers, and you're like, okay, I bought this property for 30, and I netted 60 when I resold, so you doubled your money in 60 days. Yeah, you multiply that out. If you kept that money moving all year round, I mean, like the numbers become like astronomical. Oh, yeah. Double, double and double. I, I love that. I, I think there's some powerful stuff behind doubling in general. But yeah, in those short time frames, I mean, it really turns into some serious wealth. And in fact, I've got my kids. I've got three kids, 22, 20 and 12. But my yeah. older two, they took an interest in what we were doing. And I had a couple of smaller deals that I was like, hey, if you guys are interested, you can buy those and, you know, I'll help you out in the process and yep. see what you do with them. So last year, they each, you know, they started their own company and they they each put in $4,000 each. Yeah. Um, so $8,000 all together so they could buy their first property. And they parlayed that into 65000 And Oof. then they've got another property, which is in escrow to sell for 50000 So yeah. it's like snowballing very quickly for them. Good. I love it. I love how I love how you're getting the kids involved too. And you're not forcing them. You're just showing them like, hey, like this is what I'm doing. And if you won, I have an opportunity here for you. You got some allowance saved up. You got some money saved up. Like (laughs) it's a smart move to put it in here, you know? uh, It's awesome. Yeah. So I'm just trying to teach them by doing, you know. So they're they're very excited about it. They they want to actually start sending out the mail themselves and and, you know, kind of generating deals themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Rightfully so. That's awesome. Good for you, man. I'm just blown away. I'm very impressed. I'm excited for you. I'm excited just to see where this goes in the next few years and get some feedback in the future. Definitely have you on again. But yeah, what a pleasure. So I appreciate it. You coming on, giving all your time. You know, how can the listeners get a hold of you and and how can you know people reach out? Sure. Best way is to go to turningprofit.com. Cool. And my wife and I, my wife Heather and I were launching our, our own podcast in January. I think it's January 5th that's supposed to nice. come out. So we're just going to be talking about land investing and kind of real estate investing in general in, in some ways. And on that website, I also do a monthly income report. So it breaks down specifically what happened that month, the revenue we took in, the profit we made, each deal that we did. So, you know, deal one through whatever. And we break down each one, like what we bought it for, what we sold it for, how much we made on it, how long we held it for, some specific things about the property, what we learned, maybe what we don't want to repeat, and just how everything's going. So it's like a transparent approach to our business and just to try to show, I guess, what's possible. I love that. Guys, success leaves clues. This is the breadcrumbs laid all out for you. Okay. So you guys are definitely going to want to pay attention to that. So check out turningprofit.com. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. You just gave an hour of your time a little over. I appreciate that greatly. Tremendous amount of value. What could the listeners or myself do to give back to you? Well, always looking for if anyone's interested in partnering on maybe some of those bigger deals or something like that, you know, that could be a way to work together. And ah, I don't know, just listen to the podcast when it comes out. That'd be great. Heck yeah. And what's the podcast going to be called? Turning Profit. Okay, it is. Okay, great. I love it. Very cool. Well, Pete, amazing. 
you blew me away today. I appreciate you. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. You're you're on to something right, doubling each and every year and doing some big numbers and just with the kids, with the portfolio, with everything. I'm impressed. So appreciate you, you greatly brother. for reaching out and being a part of this. Guys, reach out to Pete. He is a gangster in the space of flipping land. This is a no-brainer. I'm, I'm sure you got a boatload of notes just like I do here, but he just gave you the whole blueprint. So reach out to him to help get it put together if needed. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can always do so on Instagram. It is Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you're looking to get truly educated behind credit, what we're doing in the space, how we are totally flipping the script on the banks and getting hundreds of thousands of dollars at 0% interest so that you can grow and scale your business, purchase real estate, travel hack, or even fix credit so that you can be able to get the funding that you truly deserve, then check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. We have a live hour. Well, it's a replay. So it's a, it is a recorded webinar for you for training that gives you the step-by-step to show all the possibilities of what you can do with credit and the power truly behind it, how we got started in real estate from credit. So if that gets you excited, then go check it out. You'll be able to book a one-on-one call with us afterwards and see how we can best serve you. With that being said, if you have not already hit that subscribe button, what are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. You'll get the newest episode every single Monday when the new one drops. And then leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate all the love, support, and sharing it out to everybody that you know. It means the world to us. We love you guys. Happy holidays. Pete, you are amazing. Keep doing Ah, what you're doing, man. Talk soon, guys. God bless. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.